Good morning, everybody. So I got about five hours of stuff to say in 30 minutes, so I'm not going to take lots of time with lots of introduction stuff. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you so much, and I thank you for your goodness. Pray that by your Spirit that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, got to see the world like you see it. Holy Spirit, do what no man can do to have an incredible, incredible passion, burden within each one of our hearts. God, have your way today, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Pastor Stan asked me to share a little of history of Cambodia, since for the next 10 years, this congregation is going to partner with some of us that are there to help build the kingdom in that country. Cambodia is a place you probably heard some about because of what Pastor John said, Khmer Rouge, but sometimes we still don't know a lot about some of the places around the world. Cambodia is in Southeast Asia. It's surrounded on one side by Vietnam. You have Laos up above and then Thailand on the other side. It's a place that was colonialized in 1863 by the French, who stayed until 1953, even after World War II, they tried to stay. Most of you are aware enough of history of some of the problems and the conflicts and the things that happened after World War II. The communism had a plan, basically, to move throughout the whole world. And so there was America and others trying to stop them at a certain point. We had the Korean War, and then you know that the Vietnam conflict war began to escalate as we got in the later in the 50s and into the 60s, and it grew so much that the north of Vietnam started running a lot of their supplies to the south of Vietnam through Cambodia. And to try to disrupt that flow, we started bombing over into Cambodia. We dropped more bombs on Cambodia and Laos than we did all of World War II, both in Europe and in the Pacific, trying to do this. Part of what happened because that, though, was the Vietnamese, when they'd hear the B-52s coming, would go down in the tunnels they dug, and it left the farmers up above. A lot of them started sending their kids off into Phnom Penh or with other family members to protect them, but the moms and the dads had no place to go, and, and many of them died. The, Viet, the Cambodians hated the Vietnamese, too. They're ancient kind of enemies. And so the generals started to want to fight against Vietnam because there were millions of Vietnamese people in Cambodia to run the supplies. But the king had started to favor the North and the communists. So when the king went out of the country in 1970, the generals had a coup backed by the United States. And we started to supply arms and all sorts of stuff to the government that was set up in 1970. Well, the king wanted his power back. So he decided, I'm going to start recruiting for this group called the Khmer Rouge because he was connected to China. And the Khmer Rouge just means Cambodian Reds. That's all it means in French, Cambodian Reds. And they were tied to Red China and Mao Zedong, while the Vietnamese were tied to Soviet Union. And so China and Soviet Union were kind of fighting each other through Cambodia and Vietnam, with us kind of right in the middle, the U.S. over there. Well, as time went on, you know that we started to try to get out of that region by 71, 72, 73. So as we went, the government forces got weaker while the Khmer Rouge got stronger because the king would come around and his people and say, hey, do you want to fight against the people who killed your parents? Do you want to fight against the people who killed your parents? And children, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, started signing up with the Khmer Rouge, started fighting on us. Many of the soldiers weren't even over 13 years old when they started fighting for the Khmer Rouge. And so they grew in power and grew stronger. They took over much of the country until they finally encircled Phnom Penh, the capital city 
It had about 3 million people that had been squeezed in, refugees and all that. They made it about 3 million people in Phnom Penh on April 17th, 1975. Maybe think, what were you doing then? Some of you weren't alive. I was in junior high. 75, they finally took over the capital city. The Cambodians in Phnom Penh rejoiced. If you've seen pictures, you can go ahead and put the first one up there and stuff. The people in the city rejoiced because they thought, well, Cambodians against Cambodians, the foreigners are gone, the war is over. But the Khmer Rouge soldiers that were older that came in started saying, you got three days to get out of the city because the Americans are going to bomb the city and destroy it. And they started doing this in every town in Cambodia. You got to get out. Well, they had a plan to go back to the year zero, is what they called it. Everybody was going to be a rice farmer. Nobody could live in a city. Nobody could have anything modern. They destroyed clocks and lamps and everything. Everybody was going to be a rice farmer, and it was going to make them great. They turned the entire country into a concentration camp, forced labor. Children all the way up. They separated families, took them to different places around the country, forced labor 16 hours a day. Many of the people that were connected to the former government, and especially all intellectuals, professors, teachers, doctors, nurses, were singled out and put to death because they decided you can't re-educate the educated. We're going to show the Chinese a better way is just to kill them. And so they started to search that out, and they torture people, and you see some of the things going on here, and the killing fields that you heard about. But there's not just one killing field. They're all over the country. During the next three and a half years, one-third of the population disappeared. About the population of the state of Oregon, it's about 3.8 million people disappeared during that time. How many fled? How many died? How many are murdered? Hard to tell. Children, adults, old people died during that time. But the Khmer Rouge hated the Vietnamese still and the Russians. So they were fighting on the borders against the Vietnamese and brutally killing them too. So Vietnam was sick of them. And with Russian support and with the support of some of the Khmers that had fled, the Cambodians that fled, on Christmas Day, 1978, so now I'm in high school, those troops rushed in in a blitzkrieg. And in three weeks, they dislodged the Khmer Rouge and they all went to the jungles where they started a guerrilla warfare that lasted until 1998, supported by the U.S. and China with arms because we still hated the Vietnamese and Russians and didn't want them to move any further. During that time that the Vietnamese and the Russians occupied, they didn't let them recover. They didn't help them get re-educated and things like that. They continued to strip the land and take off most of the mechanical things into Vietnam. Well, you know the story in 1989 as the walls started to fall and all that and the Soviet Union was bankrupt and fell apart, things started to change around the world. And Vietnam, being smart, knew that their days were numbered if they stuck with the Soviet Union. And so they agreed, because of pressure from the U.S. and China, to open up some. And so in 1990, different groups, Assemblies of God, were allowed to go out and meet. But the country was devastated and destroyed. Over half the population, even till today, is still chronically malnourished, as you see these kids. Electricity in just 25% of the country. Most of the bridges were blown up. The doctors and the nurses and all medical people had been killed. The hospitals destroyed. All the equipment that was left was taken off to Vietnam. You see that this is normal. IVs on bicycles going down the streets even today because they just destroyed things. And most of the doctors that are there are not doctors because they passed the test. They paid to pass them. And they're doctors so that they can make money, not make anybody well. But it was just a devastated. Do you know the biggest dropout rate for children in Cambodia? First grade. 
Half the kids drop out in first grade because you have to pay the teacher each day to get the privilege of getting to hear what they're going to teach. And most of them get frustrated after a month, two months, and the teacher won't talk to them, and they quit. Half the kids drop out. Last stats, only 2.5% graduate. 20% make it through sixth grade because they destroyed so much during that time. And of course, one of the other plagues of that, there was already prostitution because Buddhism has a different kind of thinking stuff. But when the UN soldiers came in, all of a sudden you got 20,000 overpaid soldiers with lots of starving girls. And so the prostitution just jumped and has never gone down since that time. It wouldn't have mattered if it was UN or what other soldiers tend to do stuff like that. And so, but it's just a mess of place. See this little boy? He's one of the little boys the police catch down by the river and then sell them to foreign men are there for $10 an hour. And there's kids like this all over the place. We're the pedophile capital of the world where sickos fly in all the time because if you get caught, you just pay the judge and get off. And often it's the police and military that are involved in it, and so you're not going to probably get caught anyway. Just a place that seems so hopeless. My language teacher said this to us while we were in class when I was first there. During the Khmer Rouge, and because of some of it, Cambodians forgot how to love, how to forgive, and how to hope. But you and I know that we have a hope. Amen? We have a hope in Jesus. And in the times of this destruction and hopelessness, it's the time for Cambodia. When the doors opened back up, before the Khmer Rouge went in, they estimated there were 10,000 Christians in the country. Only 200 were left alive by 1990. Out of the 23 pastors, only two lived that had been through the Bible school. Most people by 1990 had never, ever heard the gospel. But God had a plan for Cambodia, amen? And through all the destruction, all the things, it's Cambodia's day where the gospel's getting in and it's changing lives. Now, you hear that they're Buddhist in Cambodia, but they're really more spiritist. They live their life in fear of spirits. They will not sleep alone because they're literally afraid of spirits because they're real, because they're always given things. If you see the spirit houses as we go and stuff, they offer sacrifice things. They're not sacrifice incense and food stuff to get good spirits to come to keep the bad spirits. This is where they're afraid they're going to die along the road, so they come and they stop, and they almost have accidents just because they're stopping on the road to give their stuff to the spirits there. But they live their life in fear, and almost every single holiday is based on appeasing. See, that's not a scarecrow. That's a scare spirit. When there's a plague going through and lots of kids dying from different things, they think the answer is to set one of these up, and it's going to freak out the other spirits, and they won't come around. They live in a bondage because so many of them have not heard. But like I said, it's a new day. And God is doing something in Cambodia. I didn't get there until 1999. And at that time, we had about 11 churches or so. And I'm going to tell you a little more about that in a minute. But first, I want to take a minute and just share. Um, you've got a thing, I think, in your bulletin that you got from John chapter 4. Now, some of you old-timers probably remember that way back when I actually preached out of this passage, and I just want to use it as a reminder. Um, for those that weren't around about 13 years ago, you probably didn't hear any of this. John chapter 4. Starting with verse 31. You know it's the story of the woman at the well. She's gone off. The disciples are coming back. Meanwhile, the disciples besought him, talking to Jesus, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has somebody brought him some food? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are four months, then comes harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes and see how the fields are already white into harvest. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I'm here today to rejoice with you. And I'll tell you why. When I preached before, there were three points. One was, never lose sight of your purpose. And again, I'm not going to take a lot of time on these points, because I got lots else I want to tell you. Don't lose sight of your purpose. It's so easy to get caught up in just living each day, isn't it? That we're just about, and we sometimes forget what we're here for. Why was Jesus here? It's all summed up in the one verse when he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the same purpose that Jesus had is the same purpose that we should live with. Amen? Yeah, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, and we've got to go to work, and we have school, and do that. but our purpose each day is to help to seek and to save that which is lost, to bring the good news of the kingdom to those we come in contact with, and to be purposeful to come in contact with people so that we can tell them. We can't lose sight of our purpose. Also, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Why, why do you need to lift up your eyes? Because when your eyes are down, what do you see? Your own little world around you, your feet, and maybe a little grand, but not too far ahead. And Jesus said, hey guys, look up. And when they looked up, what they see? Hundreds of people coming from the nearby village to hear and to meet a man who told the woman all that she had ever done. Their world was so narrow, all they could do was see the kingdom of God was for men that were Israelites. And all of a sudden, they lifted up their eyes and saw all these Samaritans coming to meet Jesus. We need to lift up our eyes and see that there's a whole world that needs this same hope that we have. That it's our neighbors as well as around the world. It's hopeless without Christ. Not only in this life, but especially for the life to come. Lift up our eyes and see that the fields are already widened to harvest. And the third point, and the one I want to focus on a little more, and again to rejoice together, is harvest takes partnership. Amen? You can't just have the plant, you can't have just so, it takes everything working together. We're familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians, I think you can see it in, in your flyer, inside your bulletin, that they were fighting in Corinthia, in Corinth. I'm with Peter, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, and Paul's like, what? Who is Apollos? Who am I? One sows, another waters, but it's God who gives the gain. And he goes on to say, everybody's going to receive their wages according to their labor, but it's God. We're in this together. We rejoice together, like this verse says, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. It takes partnership. Again, you know the verses in Romans. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Good news, amen? But of course, Paul asks the question, how do you call on somebody if you've never believed? 
And how do you believe in something that you've never heard about? And in Cambodia, even 10 years ago, 98% of the people wouldn't even recognize the name of Jesus. If you say Yesu, which is how they say it, they'd say, that's a funny name for grandma. Because Ye means grandma. So you're saying, do you know Grandma Sue? They had no reference because they'd never heard. How do you believe in somebody if you've never heard? And how do you hear unless somebody goes? God needs people that will go. God is still calling people that will go. People in North Africa still need to hear. There's parts of our world that still haven't heard the gospel, and God's looking for people that will go. Because they can't hear if somebody doesn't go. They can't believe if somebody doesn't go. But the next question then is, how do they go unless there's people that send them? So I go, but I can't go without churches and people like you that are willing to say some 13 years ago, can we believe in reaching the world? God's called you and we want to help you go and minister in that place. It takes partnership. And so I'm here this morning to say thank you so much. Thank you for your willingness to sacrifice because that's what it takes. God requires full commitment from us. Amen? For me to go, he wants me to do what? To have faith and to sacrifice. And as cinders, what does he require of you? The same thing. Full commitment, that you're dedicated to it, and you're willing to step out in faith, even when you don't know where it's going to come from, and to sacrifice, even if you have to give up some things. We don't need everything the world needs, do we? Do you need everything the world has to be happy? Matter of fact, it just makes us more discontent. I have to laugh a little when I come home and listen to kids here that have everything when I'm running around with kids that have nothing and they're happy to play with a rubber band all day. Stuff makes you less content, not more content, but that's a whole other story another time, so I won't get into a bunch. But thank you that you're willing because you believe and you believe the Word of God and He's touched your life to sacrifice for the sake of people that you don't know and most of you will never meet. And as I show you these next slides, I'm going to whip through them. There's a whole lot of other stuff I could tell you about each one that comes by. But I want you to understand that we all rejoice together. The things you're going to hear, the things you're going to see, God allowed me to be there to be a part of it, but I couldn't have been there without you. This is the fruit of your labor as well. This is the fruit of your sacrifice as well. Because when you invest in the kingdom of God, we rejoice together, amen? And so God has been doing awesome things. How many Christians were alive in 1990 in Cambodia? They estimate between 200 and 500. Can you repeat after me? 200 to 500. That's how many were alive. Well, God has been doing awesome things since the doors opened. And the church is growing. And people are believing. And they're leading others to Christ as well. And So if you want to go ahead and start, who's our hope? Jesus is the hope. Cambodians lost their hope, but now they can find a real hope. It's Jesus Christ. One of the things I do is I'm the country director for the Assemblies of God, so I get to work with government officials and stuff, because you just kind of got to do that to operate in those places. One of the other things I get to do is coordinate missionaries. But it's an awesome day. God is calling people from all sorts of countries to go. I have AG missionaries from Malaysia, from Singapore, from El Salvador, from Japan, from New Zealand, from Australia, from Finland, from Sweden that I get to work with as we try to bring the good news there. 
One of the other things I get the great pleasure to do is work at our Bible school. Now listen to this. We're not there to be the UN. It's great to help meet people's needs, but the priority is to build the church. And I believe that as people are transformed, they will transform their own society. If we're going to do something that's long-term, it's because we reach Cambodians and train Cambodians and allow them to become leaders. And so Bible school, for me and for us, is priority to help train these. And so you see some here, about 25 students finish every year. Now we have a Vietnamese track, but I get to teach and be involved in their lives. The great thing is I'm single, so I live right next to it, and I get to hang out with them a lot, so I know every single one of our pastors well and get to go hang out with them. Do you know what? how much it costs for a full year to go to Bible school? Room, board, all, everything? $1,000. And so your church helps, and other churches help, so that these students who sacrifice can go. One of the other things, most people never heard the gospel, so I started working with Book of Hope, which is basically the gospel just put into a magazine form like you're seeing here. The gospels put together, nothing repeated twice, taken out some of it, but mostly the word of God. And God began to open the doors in public schools across the country. And we've been able to give out about 750,000 of these already into the, in the schools. We just recently had a story, and some of you saw my newsletter. One of the pastors we ran into told us his story, and he became a believer because his son, at the very first place we ever gave out the Book of Hope, took the book home, and he started reading it because he was so hopeless. And he saw the title, Book of Hope. Second day, son, come. And he started to read it, and he was saved. And here, when he gets saved, if you're the only Christian in your village, you become the pastor automatically. So when you ask people, when did you get a call, when did you become a pastor, when did you get saved, it's almost always the same day, because it's first generation. True, true. So one of the other things is lots of Cambodians can't read, and so we now have the Godman movie with books that have very little words in it, so people who can't read can get the gospel as well. One of the other things, this is going to work in with your youth teams that come, we do a thing called Kids Quest. I often have kids from the U.S. come, and then some of our great young people that are there, I get them, and so it's one-to-one. -one. There's maybe 12 kids from the U.S., 12 kids from Cambodia. We get together, we train, and each day go out into villages to share the gospel and to teach the kids that are in those areas. And you can just see the kids who come. We go out in the jungles. We go out all sorts of places and present the gospel in a way that they want to hear it. And what's awesome is these Cambodian kids, they're used to everything by rote. All they do is repeat after the teacher. Well, all of a sudden, they see that we can do skits and dramas and games and teach through that, and they thought, wow, I thought we had to do just like our teachers at school. So they don't bore the kids to death. They actually get to share with them in a way the kids will listen and respond. I was a youth pastor for lots of years, and I knew that camp changes lives, that it's a time you get away from the norm and you can seek God. And I felt God say, start youth camp for the AG. We started out with a few kids, but as you can see, it grew and grew. We had to put limits on how many, how many Christians were alive in 1990. How many kids come to our youth camp? 350 each time, and we set limits. It's only believers that come because it's a training camp. More than that, a time to get fired up, touched by God. We do all sorts of young groups. But one of the great things besides the kids that get to know Jesus better, get better trained and all that, is our kids that help lead it. When I started doing youth camp, I had two people to help me. And they had very little experience. But each year, we had 16 small group leaders. We had somebody help with this, somebody help with that. And we spent time with them and trained them. 
And they became the next generation of leaders who then helped the others. And soon, this next year, we're going to split into three camps for the first time and start focusing on regions so we can have it cheaper and a lot more kids and people can be involved. And we can do it because now we have lots more leaders than we had before. If you keep moving, we have them do um, things like community service because the Buddhists are just blown away that somebody will serve because servanthood is not a part of their culture. The low people serve the big ones. That's about it. But people that don't need to, don't go serve, but we play games, interact. Can you imagine being a young person, you've never met another Christian that's your age, and all of a sudden getting to go to this camp and be a part, and see, they're just excited to be together, but about Jesus too, the worship, I wish you could be there. Some of you go to my Facebook, you can hit some of the links to YouTube and see some of the worship that takes place. You'll be blown away, the excitement and the enthusiasm that they have as they worship Jesus and as he touches their life. It's awesome as they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some have never even seen something like that before. And they're going down. This one girl went on for hours as she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of our girls that's a missionary from El Salvador comes by. She's speaking Spanish. Serious. It was just awesome. So one of our other things is training again. Training leaders. We started out with two people helping me. Then we had some more. If you can back up or hold, I don't know if you'll be able to hold it with my things. But one of the greatest fruits of the youth camp is leaders. And we spend a lot of time leaders. I took six of them to the Philippines for an Asian-wide training thing. And they've come back. They ran a youth camp, a youth leaders camp then, that we had 70 people from around the country come. I didn't have to do anything. Those six that went with me and got training for two weeks came back and did the whole thing. And now we're going to go again in 2012. They do it every three years. We're going to take... The ones that are my main leaders that are the National Youth Department, and each one of them is going to invite one from the regions they oversee so that we'll be able to do things more regionally as we go as well. This is a training that we do every Saturday for a year to train on youth ministry and stuff. And so God is doing awesome things. You can go ahead and go. Our orphanage, we started because the government needed them back then. Let me tell you, though, we're getting out of the orphanage business. Most of the orphanages in Cambodia now are businesses to make money for the people who run them. Our orphanage is shrinking because kids are graduating. They're getting a good education. Well, we have people that sponsor them, and they come to Phnom Penh. This girl, her mother committed suicide by hanging herself over the bed. Her father was murdered the next year. Her other siblings, four of them, moved into our orphanage when they all died. We have real orphans. Well, these kids now, she graduated. You can go ahead and move forward. They're coming to town. This is our newest ones. They're getting ready to leave the orphanage. Six kids who just graduated, and they come to go to college. The one you saw that her mother committed suicide is in year five of medical school right now. She's on the radio every week training people over the radio, the Christian radio, how to take care of their kids' stuff because most people never get to go to a doctor. These ones just showed up about three weeks ago, and I get the pleasure of overseeing these kids. I've known them since they're little now because I go bug them all the time, and now they're with me in town. You can keep moving forward. Um, they have student houses, about five houses down from mine. I live in those kind of apartments, too, and hang out with these kids when I get a chance. But they got three doctors, two that are going to be midwives. Biggest cause of death still in Cambodia for women is childbirth. We have um, one studying to be a dentist. We have accountants. We got a lawyer. We got people in banking and all these things. God is helping us to develop human research. And these kids love Jesus, and they're helping in their churches. One of the other things we did, the government had to start schools in places that never had schools. Again, what's the biggest dropout rate? What year? First grade. So we started schools through Mission of Mercy and Child Sponsorship where the kids don't have to pay anything. The teachers can't take money from We get them uniforms. We get them the, the reading stuff. We've got around the country, I think it's about 4,000 kids in grade school. Now, we had some places where 
There were no junior highs close enough to go. So the government said, would you open some junior highs? Because every single kid was dropping out after sixth grade. Well, this is our junior high in one of the spots. We just opened another one this next year. And all of a sudden, 250 kids, well, about 350 at this one, get to go to junior high. At the other one, we're opening this, well, in one week, 250 kids now get to go on. And the awesome thing is, at these schools, because we support them, they let us do Bible once a week at a Buddhist nation. And from the time they're in first grade, they start hearing, hearing. But when they're in sixth grade, they say to mom and dad, I heard about Jesus, and can I go to the church? And they're like, no, not because they're against Jesus, because Buddhists, they don't care what you are, because it's just a philosophy, but because they're too little. If you can just hold for a second. But when we started the junior highs, they'd say, mom and dad, I learned about Jesus at school. Can I go to the church? Oh, sure, go. And almost every single one that goes through our junior high now is giving their life to Christ by the time they're done. Our churches are exploding. Part of it starting, you're going to see this here, from a couple mother churches near some of our schools. Those guys discipled people. Now people from their congregation went to the next village. And this is what you're seeing here. And they start holding a Bible study. It grows and grows and grows until it becomes a church. And they go to the next village and the next village and the next village. And what you're seeing, if you can hold right there, is some of these church plants. And that's part of what Pastor Stan's talking about with the churches, because they outgrow their homes, and you'll see the buildings in a minute, but we help them to get into buildings, and I'll show you more when we get to the buildings. But their church plant, let me tell you again, rejoice together. Your funding, other churches in Oregon give me, I take money each month, $300 of that, and we give it to these church planters, $25 for each mother church, so that they have gas enough to go a little further, because... Before, they could walk. It was the village next to them. But when that one has a church, they go to go to the next village and the next village. And so it's too far to ride their bikes or walk. So we help them get glass and materials. They're rice farmers. They're poor. But they want to see other people know Jesus. They want other people to know the same hope they have. And so they're going further and further. But it's you, the give, that make it possible for me to help them to go. And so the churches being planted are because of partnership again between us all. One of the newest works is God touched my heart about the garment factory workers. Buses, trucks, and this and that. 320,000 of these girls all over Phnom Penh that come from villages all around the country that come to help get money to help their families. So God's bringing them all to us. Sometimes the living conditions outside of their work are terrible. So we started renting a house where we let 20 girls come stay. They don't have to know Jesus yet. Most of them don't. But we have three girls that are trained, went through our Bible school, that were garment factory workers before, that are now trying to reach these girls, teach them either Korean or English, and help them with computer. And this is some of the ones that are there at that house. When Pastor John and Stan were there, we kind of asked them, you know, where are you at with Jesus? And several of them said, we're thinking about it. Understand, most of the world doesn't do this raise your hand and stuff because they have no concept. They're thinking about it. But I was just there two weeks ago with a couple other pastors that went by, and some of those same girls said, I'm a Christian now. God is doing things. And our hope is with three of these different ones there that help lead it, that soon we'll have three houses. What's it take? 190 a month to rent the house, but then they pay a little. So basically for 190 a month, we're able to start these houses for these garment factory workers. You can go ahead and move. Motorcycles, speed the light, thank you. And some of you know that speed the light right now is trying to help me get 15 more of these to help these church planters have a vehicle so they can get out to further and further villages and plant. Churches. Albany first helped build a couple of these mother churches, but a bunch of other churches, you guys will see some of the ones you helped too. $7,500 helps build churches like these 
that seats 75 to 100, helps build the fence around them, and a bathroom so that they have their one storage room. $7,500. And the great thing is, it doesn't just get used on Sunday or Saturday whenever they worship. Most of the places turn them into kindergarten and grades and preschools because there is no such thing by the government. They can't afford them. So all of a sudden, we have every single kid in the village for two years at our church. And what it does is helps the parents and them get over the fear of that Jesus place, that Jesus spirit that might do bad things to us. Look at all these kids. Aren't they awesome? And we get them for two years to help them with their education, but to teach them about Jesus as well throughout the place. And so basically a kindergarten costs $900 to run for a year, a preschool kindergarten, $900 for it, $75 a month, so that these kids get a chance to go to school and hear about Jesus. Teen Challenge. God helped us get this piece of property for $30,000 because of some miracles, and it had one building on it. The building is worth more than $30,000. But we are one of the only, we are the only Teen Challenge in the world where a lot of our people are under 18 years old. We're really a Teen Challenge. Actually, it's not even a quite teen. See these little boys? All of them were glue-sniffing kids that other people found on the streets. They were being sold for sex. They were so, making to be begging stuff. And those other organizations brought them to us, and they spend a year in this place to help them get off it, get trained about Jesus. You can go ahead and move forward. There's other pictures. This is the whole group of them right now that we were only able to hold so many until recently people gave money so that we could build this dorm. For about thirty-five, about 40000 now we have place for a lot more kids to be able to stay. When they come, they also help farm there because they help grow their own vegetables, their own pigs, their own cows and things so that we can eat there. We raise fish in the rice paddies that they can harvest and the fish eat the bugs and they poop and do all that stuff so that it works good, the eggs and the chicks and we sell the chicks. But they learn a trade some and they also learn self-worth and it helps us cover the bills as well. But this is the real point, amen? Salvation. And their lives are being transformed. I remember one Sunday listening to the testimony of one rich kid that was in there, but he'd been on drugs seven years, and his parents had tried everything, so they finally decided, let's try that Jesus place. And they let him come there, and his life has changed, and he was telling his parents, I am so sorry. And then he told them, the only reason I've changed is what Jesus has done in my life. Mom and Dad, I hope you will give your life to Jesus as well. And the mother gave her life to Christ and is involved in one of our churches in Phnom Penh now. And some of these guys will become some of our best pastors in the future. And then we work a lot with little kids. Aren't they cute? When you say pray, they pray. They believe in some of this stuff. And so we do children's camps, but more than just camps for children. We do teacher training for Sunday school teachers and children's workers around the country. And so thank you for sending me to do such fun work. It's fun to be a part of what God's doing around the world. Amen? It is awesome, and I just want to thank you so much for what you've done. The medical teams that come, understand, they help meet people's needs. Most people will never, ever get to go to a doctor or a dentist in their whole life, but all of a sudden, we go to them. But above this, we help build a bridge because we go to some of these church plants. We go to some of the younger churches where a lot of people are afraid of the Jesus spirit. If they're nice to him, they're afraid the other bad spirits will do bad stuff to them. But all of a sudden, they're willing to risk stepping across that border into that Jesus place because of the medical team and dental team being there. And they come in, and they get something good, and people treat them nice. And nothing bad happens, but good things happen to them. And there we have the people planting the churches or the mother church people that are sharing the gospel, but more to build a relationship because you can't lead somebody to Christ in a moment there. I mean, there's no God in Buddhism. There's no sin. There's no... But... We build a connection, and they get over the fear of the Jesus place. 
And so thank you so much, all of you that come with the medical and dental teams. You help touch their physical lives, but the spiritual life that continues on, especially even after you've gone. Thank you so much. And I just want to say thanks for being partners. Not only what you've done, but for the next 10 years as well. I believe this is the most important time because we don't want to be there forever. I don't think missionaries should stay forever in a place. When we get it to the people and they start to do it and serve themselves, we'll go to some place where nobody else has heard in that place as well. And this next 10 years is critical as the church starts to stand on its own and we give them an incredible base that they can move it on from that time. So I just want to say thank you so much and please keep praying. I got prayer cards out in there because we're in this together. Amen?